When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. have a great episode for you tonight, or one I've really been looking forward to talking about. Uh, the topic is called wide receiver devaluation. It's I would call it revaluation, and we'll uh, we'll get to the, the the points here. But joining me to talk about this, and this is really his brainchild, his idea, and, and he's going to be taking us through a lot of the thought process here. We'll be reacting to it, is Caleb Wharton. Caleb, how are you doing? I'm doing real well, Ken. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, great to great to do it. Hopefully, technically, we can make this work tonight. And uh, uh, it's a uh, very interesting topic. Definitely one I've been looking forward to for a while. But we've seen some huge free agent contracts this offseason. We've seen some big trades involving wide receivers. Uh, and really, everyone seems to make me shake my head a little more about what's going on in that market. Yeah, I, I think... Um, there has been a lot of conversation, I feel like, over the last couple of years, really, of the potential for there to be a valuation change in the wide receiver market. But I feel like 
this year it has just become painfully obvious that there is a significant difference of opinion you know among teams in terms of how much a, a free agent wide receiver even just a you know a decent contributor is worth and i think there are kind of a set of buyers who are willing to pay more than ever and there's a set of sellers who are willing to let you know players go that maybe a few years ago they wouldn't have been willing to do so and i kind of wanted to get to the bottom of it and say hey what's going on here why, why is this why are things moving so differently in 2022 than they have in the past well definitely contrasting strategies in play in the in the front offices of various teams and and something that i think is worth examining and and, and trying to you know decide what the motivations are but also maybe Think about valuation in terms of um, contrarianism in the league, and and you know one of the one of the precepts of poker is if the game's loose, you play tight. If the game's tight, you play loose. So you should be zigging when the other when the when your opponent is zagging. So if other people are valuing receivers at a very high level, do you value them less? But why don't we start with a little bit of the backstory here and and some of the transactions leading up to 2021 that have that have been so uh, puzzling. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think talking about the transactions is, is useful because one, you know, NFL is not the stock market. Things happen herky jerky. Every case is a little bit different. Everything is unique. Um, but you can, you can still see trends and, and still find kind of uh, interesting nuggets in individual transactions. So, you know, I want to talk mostly about 2022 stuff, but I think Really, the, the the canary in the coal mine for all of this was the Stefan Diggs trade uh, between Minneapolis and Buffalo in 2020. And I really think when a lot of these teams are moving these wide receivers, that is the transaction transaction that they're thinking about from both sides. Because when you think back to that trade, and I'll ask you this seriously, uh, who won that trade? I mean, maybe each in their own way. We uh, we may not even know yet. Yeah. Uh, depending on how good it's Justin Jefferson was the player they got with the with the pick. Oh, and he's been a he's been a top sixteen player. I I, I think we've we've I, the way I think of it is this. You know, uh, if if you think that Josh Allen would have developed without that top target, then the Vikings won hands down. Right, they took the player that the 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 Bills could have taken with the same pick, uh, and they got a cheap high end wide receiver who's probably about the same level of quality as Diggs, and and they managed to balance their books and stay competitive for years and years. But if you believe that that wide receiver was critical to Josh Allen's development, and I think a lot of people you know in and out of front offices do, then I would say the Bills won that. Because can you put a, fran a price on a franchise quarterback? And I think that's well, I guess you really can. It's just a, a lot high price. <laughs> well, well, no, that's absolutely true. But but I think that's really what's at play here. That on the the, the buyer side, it's a question of how essential are wide receivers to quarterback development. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, and then on the seller side, it's well, I just replaced an expensive player with a cheap player. You know, I'll do that all day, every right. day, if I can. Um, that's that's good business, good process. So, kind Very of moving similar to the Brown move in a way. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So moving forward into today, I'd say what really kicked things off and and told you how crazy this free agency was going to be was Christian Kirk getting moved from Phoenix to Jacksonville. That wasn't a trade. That was a free agency move. But, you know, and everybody will tell you this, that was one of the most ludicrous wide receiver contracts I've ever seen. You're, you're paying a an okay starter, probably a wide receiver too on a lot of offenses, $20 million a year. And the funny thing is, you know, it, it made some amount of sense for Jacksonville. He was the best wide receiver on the market in a weak free agency class. They've got piles of money. But the most important part is they've got a QB to develop and no one for him to throw to. And they didn't only had one pick in the first round, and they didn't want to be tied down to overdrafting a wide receiver at that spot. You know, they, they wanted freedom at the top of the draft, and they were willing to pay quite a bit of money to get it. But of course, they managed to blow the market up in the process and, you know, cause this whole cascade of trades after. So kind of moving down the yeah, line, I, go for it. I'll just respond to that there. It's it's an odd trade. And it is one of the funny things about teams. They have a cash requirement and they have, of course, the cap to deal with. And they have ways to manipulate the dollars of, of cash spending. But there are limits on that, too, over a multi-year period. Uh, and I'm, I'm not an expert on it by, by any stretch, but it is almost a time when having having too much cap can also be a problem that, the, that you end up spending it on uh, not as useful commodities for your team. Sure. And then again, you know, from the from the perspective of the league, I'm, I'm sure somebody probably wanted to key his car at the uh, at the combine. I mean, it, it was uh, it was a devastating trade that really changed the landscape unfavorably for a lot of good teams, ourselves included, potentially. Um, the Deshaun Watson signing also kind of similar to that in terms of the guaranteed money and, and now what it might take to cost Lamar. We've already had Bishotti come out and say, hey, I wish they wouldn't have guaranteed the entire thing. Yeah. And I tell you what, I, for one, am really hoping, oh, I would hope anyway, because it's the Browns and their divisional rivalry, that they really get stuck by this move. But I, I I hate trading away this much in terms of draft capital. The amount they then paid on top of it just to me, you, it really they acted as if your earlier question is what's the price of a franchise question a quarterback is truly rhetorical. It is not. Yes, you have to consider it. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And 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 you know I hate that trade for all kinds of reasons, not least the message it sends that what are we going to do with this player who may or may not have have harmed other people, legal or illegal? I don't think that matters. I, I think it's pretty certain that he, he misbehaved in some ways and hurt some people. And we're going to turn around and make him the richest man in the league. I, you know, I realize we're here to talk about do- cap dollars and winning football games, but that was just a a problematic move on all kinds of different levels. And and I no, I don't care for it. And I don't think the other owners care for it, both from a financial and a, and a moral standpoint. But uh, well, they probably will have, you know, their say through their representative in terms of the commissioner, in terms of what that um, suspension is going to look like. The more, it, you know, we seem to talk about this as things go on. And, you know, the, the most recent news came out, I think yesterday is that, um, he admitted, or his lawyers admitted, to three sexual encounters during these massages. 
that well, you know the, the potential for a pattern of behavior and a thing. I don't want to talk too much about this, but but it is he's gonna he's gonna face a substantial suspension, probably at least half a season. I, I should hope so, and 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 particularly the way they manipulated his contract to mitigate that risk, just such a cynical way of doing business. I, and and frankly, I, I you know if, if I were the commissioner, I'd do it for a year just to spite them, you know, <laughs> but. You know, they're they're they're. I'm not hardly an impartial <laughs> giver of justice uh-huh. here, but anyway, you know. So running down, uh, you've got the Adams trade from Green Bay to Las Vegas. You know, I really do think that had to do with kind of money that that the Kirk Kirk uh, contract said was out there for a receiver like Devonte Adams, and then you've got uh, Marquise Brown from Baltimore to Phoenix. And you know, this is kind of where things start to get interesting because here we are, we are in in the middle of the draft at this point, or at least they kept it quiet all the way up to that point. Uh, and I think all of us were just shocked because here we were watching these wide receivers going off the board, like you know, you know, uh, uh, fist bumping the air every time it happened. Then all of a sudden, w- wait, what? What's going on? But the you know, and and here we are. We're in a somewhat anxious position. We're we're back to our annual wide receiver freakout. But I don't know. This one feels different to me, Ken. This one feels like it's by choice, and there's a plan in place. I mean, how do you feel about it? You know, the more I think about it, the more I think there might be. I don't know if this is if this is the correct usage of real politic. You know, where, where, you know, you have an agenda that's hidden below the apparent actual agenda. So the Ravens hid the Marquise Brown trade from the rest of the league. But Marquise was on a plane ready to be announced in Arizona. You know, they had to, people pretty much had to know. I would have thought that the people before 14 know, and it may have been that the Ravens even engineered a run on wide receivers between 8 and 12 to help them get a Hamilton or a Jordan Davis to have one of those two fall to them, for example. That, that's uh, fair. It's, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they thought about it that way. You know, obviously knowing what kind of a hole that would create. Well, and, and I'll say this too, that I had a lot of anxiety. I'm a huge Bateman fan. And I don't think this, I don't think our offense can support multiple paid wide receivers, you know, outside of low cost free agents. So if they were going to, I think they were going to pay one guy and that was going to be it. And I wanted it to be Bateman, yeah. but with Marquise's friendship with Jackson, I was like, I, I this is going to be ugly because I don't think they wanted to pay Marquise either, but, but they want to pay Jackson and he's being so mercurial about this, this contract situation. I was like, this, this could get unfortunate next year. I found this to be a bit of a relief, honestly, because it clears that whole discussion up. All Bateman has to do is be as good as I think he, he can be next, you know, this year. And, and I think the way is clear for him to, to get paid and to be our primary wide receiver. And it's not that I think wide receivers aren't valuable. It's that I think uh, they are more replaceable, and that's a distinction that I think that you kind of have to 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 keep right. in mind as you go through. It's not that we don't want good wide receivers; it's that we think they're easier to come by than than they have been in the past. Well, and, and we ought to be really sure we understand for any receiver we pay for on a second contract that we understand their aging curve and what's going to happen to that receiver. And I, I don't think the Ravens have been 
outstanding at this. I don't think a lot of teams are have really been outstanding at this. But you know, you you project the player to be almost the same player on their second deal that he was on. You know, at the end of his first, it was wrong for Ray Rice, and you know his decline happened before the other problems happened. Uh, you know, it's 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 wrong for most running backs. You know, your your second running back contract usually gets you in a ton of trouble. You'd be you'd be well served to just say, I'm never going to make a second contract deal with a with a running back. I'm going to always look to get a running back and 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 have him play on that first contract only. Uh, you know, with with the the one that really got me was the Hill trade because it's a combination of both money and draft capital. Yeah, yeah, and and. That was also the one that I was like, man, there's really something to this because it's one thing for the Ravens to do it. It's an, it's one thing for the Titans to do it. Two kind of run centric teams with strong components mm-hmm. to their, their, their offense outside of the passing game. It is quite a different thing for the chiefs who hang their hat on their passing game to, to just say, you know, put out their chest and say, Hey, we have Patrick Mahomes. We have Kelsey you know, we can make this work with a, a group of role players playing kind of narrower roles within our offense. Isn't, isn't it a nice, just as an aside, isn't it a nice thing that we finally have seen some evidence of the Chiefs having to, to stare down their salary cap problems? Because, I, I mean, you know, it seemed like they've just added play after player and, and you know, the Mahomes contract and all the linemen they wanted, including Orlando Brown and, uh, you know, it didn't seem like there was any limit to their spending. Kelsey's contract comes to mind. Well, yeah, and and but when you look at both, you know, Mahomes' contract and Josh Allen, they were both structured to have like a one or two year delay, and when the money really starts to come in, um, and you know, maybe we'll do the same thing. Although I wouldn't be surprised if we have a shorter, flatter contract structure, just because that tends to be how we like to do things. But but yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and. Um, but but anyway, you know, if the Chiefs who who need their passing game to be great, not good, to kind of have their offense work, are willing to trade away their best wide receiver, then I really think this has some legs. That that this is an an efficiency that good teams are seeing and kind of going for it. Um, and to kind of finish it out, I think I, I alluded to it before, the A.J. Brown trade from Nashville to Philadelphia was also kind of an interesting litmus test in the sense of, in my mind at least, the Titans are don't have a lot of cornerstone players at this point, certainly not of the age that A.J. Brown is. He's easily a top 10, probably more like a top five wide receiver in the league. If you don't pay him, who do you pay? you know, in at the wide receiver position. But people point out they paid Henry. They paid their offensive line. You know, they've made a decision that their their running game is their identity. I think also they're they're kind of leery of leaning too hard on the passing game because they're not sure of what they have in Tannehill anymore. So I that's probably the one that I question the most. I think the other ones, you know, make a lot of sense. The Titans is the one where I feel like I don't fully understand their motives. You know, if AJ Brown turned out to have some sort of hidden injury issues or something of that nature, this whole thing would make a little more sense to me, but it's what they did. Well, the last two years on Tannehill's contract, so he has, he has void years at the end of his contracts. They've already mortgaged their future for in, into 24 and 25, but the last two years of his contract, he has cap numbers of 38.6 and 36.6 million. 
Yeah. A $9.2 million cap number in 24 that's going to hit, even though he won't be playing for the Titans or, or he, he projects not to be playing for the Titans. Uh, they have got to save some money somewhere. So I think, I, you know, I think their motivation could be actually fairly simple as what I'm saying. Well, and they're also going to be the litmus test in that of all of these teams, they are the ones who made the most obvious one-for-one kind of Viking-style draft choice. They mm-hmm. took Burks. And, you know, who knows? Burks could turn into the next A.J. Brown. That's That was his comp in the draft, and they look like geniuses. And if that happens, I, I promise you this whole tactic of trading away wide receivers is going to just catch on fire. <laughs> You know how it happens with these these fad tactics in the uh, the NFL. Well, I mean, you know, it it'll it'll be the the case for a while until the next great strategy comes along. But I agree that that uh, uh, yeah, the, the wide receiver salaries are such that it should have people questioning what's the correct move. Should I keep my guy, or or should I trade him? And I think you've gone down some interesting rabbit holes in 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 the material you've got here in terms of why teams would consider still paying these ridiculous salaries. Because my immediate reaction is there are other reasons not to do it. Yep. You know, you can be you can be good at several other positions for that money. No, that's that that's absolutely fair. And and I think when we say the teams out loud that we've kind of talked about up to this point, Eagles, Dolphins, Cardinals, and Raiders. And we kind of stop for a second and we take the Raiders out because I think they're, they're, they're outliers with the reason I'm about to give. But you take the remainder, Eagles, Dolphins, Cardinals. Uh, these are arguably rebuilding teams, middle to bad, middling to bad teams. But the most important ingredient is they have young developing quarterbacks who are in this sort of that awkward, okay, they haven't popped yet, but they have a couple of years under their belt at this point. Are they going to be good? Are they not going to be good? In some cases, they've already been under multiple coordinators, multiple head coaches. They're in that turnover, you know, death spiral that a lot of young quarterbacks can get caught up in if if they end up in a bad situation. I think really the biggest reason that these teams are devoting such immense resources to wide receiver acquisition is because they see wide receivers as integral to development and maybe just as important the assessment of young wide res- of young quarterbacks so you can figure out whether you have to hit the eject button and completely restart your rebuild okay so you're saying you can't tell if you've got a quarterback who's failed so if you have sam darnold but you have lousy receivers you can't tell if your quarterback has failed unless he has good receivers i think that's the theory here that's the, I may okay. not entirely agree with it, and I think we can talk about some alternative theories of quarterback development. But but let's kind of jump into that. I think right now the the NFL model for QB development really comes from Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Burrow, and the thing that all all of those situations have in common is we have wide open pass heavy offenses with. Lots of receiving threats all over the place. It's and in the case of you know Mahomes, Allen, and Herbert particularly, just uh, they're they're downfield aggressive offenses that empower those 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 QBs to take lots of chances and really you know show off their arms. And I think the thought process is 
if if that kind of high passing volume, if you can do it and be efficient sufficiently, you know, to 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 be a good offense, then you get the best of both worlds. You get those high leverage opportunities that help your QB kind of tune their aggression, their risk taking, their field reading, and you get lots of them, right? So you can de- theor- theoretically develop a, a quarterback quickly, build their their confidence. Oh. The, there's there's a lot of advantages there, but there's some disadvantages. And I think the biggest one is those weapons have to be in place before the quarterback gets there because you've got a timetable okay. on all this. Let's go back to the first thing. So you're basically saying that it's ideal to develop a quarterback, a passing quarterback, when the opportunities are many and high leverage. I'm saying that's the theory based on these four mm-hmm. outstanding young quarterbacks. So I'm okay. saying they are the quarterbacks uh, right. that are being held up as the great success stories of this generation. They're the ones that the other teams are looking at as the prototype. I'm not necessarily saying that I think they're the only approach available, but I'm saying they're the ones that the owners are seeing. They're the ones that the GMs are seeing and, and that people are trying to imitate. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I I think that's reasonable. If you're you're, I'm trying to think if I if I agree with the logic of going by by example, but that's okay. Let's 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 f- go forward in, with with the other side of this, and we'll talk about it more. So I think the biggest thing is that there there's sort of two two inverse f- philosophies of team building when you're you're rebuilding. There is build the team before the quarterback, and then there's build the team after the quarterback. And there's pros and cons to both because in a lot of cases, teams really can't control whether they're going to have the draft. Well, it's difficult to control whether you're going to have the draft capital to go for a high quality quarterback in any given class. So sometimes you have to be opportunistic. You have to take them when you can and reload on the fly. And I'd say the Ravens fall in that camp. You know, we can't count on having high enough picks to 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 manage a reload. So if we get a shot, we have to take it and just make it work when it happens because we may not get another chance. And I think when Lamar Jackson fell at the laps at 32, I mean, it's possible that we were years away from the Ravens thinking they had to take a quarterback. Maybe, maybe not. We'll probably mm-hmm. never know. But they saw the opportunity. They took it. And they decided we'll make this work. Our roster might not be ready, you know, it might not be optimal at this moment in time for us to support a young quarterback, but um, we're going to roll with it. Whereas I think a lot of these other teams, the Bengals, I think, are, are one that I'll call out, or or Mahomes, maybe even more so. These were, you know, successful rosters, with, uh, or or at least with the, with the Bengals, they have top ten pick after top ten pick, many of which they were throwing at wide receiver. And then for the, you know Mahomes, it was already a successful team before he even played. You know, it, at least it was a very successful offense. Right. So I think um, those teams were maybe by strategy, maybe by coincidence, much stronger offensive rosters than the Ravens were. Because I invite you to go back to 2018 and look at our depth chart on offense. No, you don't have to convince me. It was depressing. <laughs> I mean, just n- not comparable to the the skill p- skill talent on any of these teams that we've talked about up to this point, and and I think that's so that's the problem. You you get this shot at a, at a quarterback, your team isn't ready. 
or, or you have a, a quarterback who maybe isn't ready for super high pass volume from day one, what do you do? And I think what the Ravens did. See, before you go to that, that, that's the question I have is that, and that's why I wonder about your first statement that providing a high quality, providing a high quantity, I guess the quality is really the important part of pass opportunities somehow develops a quarterback quicker. To, to me, you know, traditional thinking from the 1970s and whatnot, it would have been you never want to put your young quarterback in a position where you're depending on him to throw a lot of passes and whatnot. Now, the game's evolved. We've got, you know, more of offenses is being put in the hands of, of young quarterbacks. I'm still not sure it's ideal. You know, having a, having a great running game, having a great offensive line, you can, you can have a lot of different good things about a team that I think you could potentially still develop a quarterback with other than just wide receiving talent. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, I, I would argue that the Bengals did it with a terrible offensive line. Oh, see, the Bengals really unusual to me. are the, the the Bengals are a strange case that I think is going to upset GMs around the league because I'm not sure what they did last year can be replicated by them or or anyone else really. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have a bunch of things coming together. You have a downright bad offensive line. I mean, it, it's probably going to be difficult to find an offensive line that bad that ever sniffed a Super Bowl. Um, you've got one of the greatest, you know, wide receiver rookie seasons of all time. You have, and let's give credit where credit's due. Burrow manages the quick game better than any second year quarterback I've ever seen. I mean, he, he has some really special qualities at getting the ball out quickly and, and creating yak on short passes. That's kind of how he, he beats the odds with his right. you know, slew of high end wide receivers. But I'm not sure I've ever seen another rookie quarterback who could win that way. So I'm not sure anything the Bengals did was replicable, you know, uh, 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 at scale. And and that's kind of it too. That I think uh, QBs are, are are unique creatures that you have to work with what they can do, right? Yep, I, I agree. And I think that you know when defenses figure out some things about Burrow. It, it, he, there are going to be problems for him because Burrow is not an arm strength quarterback at all. And there have been guys, Unitas and Montana got by with just average arm strength in terms of their careers, but uh, not a lot of quarterbacks have really been able to do that very well for a very long time. And and that is one of the knocks. And even the, the, the Cincinnati guys I have on the pod, when we do know your foe episodes, really talk about his arm strength being very average. Yeah. And, Unusual and- for a young quarterback. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, the thing is, I would actually say that's a differentiator between Lamar and, uh, some of the other quarterbacks we talked about Mahomes, Herbert and Allen, because Lamar is a very see it quarterback. He wants to see events unfold outside the field. I think he's still learning to have, you know, strong anticipation. And I don't think he has the arm strength to easily access, downfield except on extended opportunities where his receivers can create separation. And I think what makes him special as a passer is what he can do with those extended opportunities and the fact he can manufacture them for himself by boosting play action and with his pocket management and pocket escapability. Yeah. Whereas so Allen is yeah, just I that ladder. Yeah, he can throw something on a rope 50 50 yards downfield just because he saw it at the last second and he can still get it there because he, you know, he, he's got probably the best arm that I've seen since I started watching football and, you know, in the aughts. So 
make of that what you will. But uh, you know, but 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 focusing on the Ravens, I think the Ravens found what Lamar was special at: extended opportunities and boosting the running game and creating those extended opportunities for themselves. And they created a juggernaut with it. And and they they were like, okay, the one thing we can do is run the ball, even with kind of even fairly average running backs, worse than average. Honestly, our lead runner was Alex Collins in 2018. You know, I haven't thought about Alex it's, Collins. It's about the scheme, not about the player. I mean, yeah. he, he, with the with the Ravens, that's one of the reasons why running backs have become so devalued. Is the Ravens can fit. Um, what effectively are a set of platoon running backs, running backs that can do specific things. Well, you know, have a guy with speed who can, who can burst to the outside, have a guy with power like us Edwards, you know, it, it have a slasher to go with that. If you want to run some zone plays or whatever, you don't, you can't give away your play by who's on the field, but the Ravens automatically threaten multiple areas on the field with the way they run their Greg Roman offense. And the one that's the, the biggest fear of all Lamar makes every everybody else on that on that offense, and and some people would argue all twenty two, uh, you know, all the rest remainder of the twenty two better players for for his dangerousness. Uh, yeah, something's I, never been, by the way, captured. Well, and 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 the funny thing is, I think quietly the the Eagles followed our formula to some degree, you know, with Hurst. Uh, the, with to significant course, yeah. success, honestly, um, this this past season, and I think uh, you know some people who, who follow the Bears were kind of advocating that they they follow kind of more of our playbook and and make more methodical use of uh, you know the the legs of their young dual threat quarterback. So at least it's it's in the minds of the league that that is a strategy that's available and can work. I just don't know that we've had another Lamar type runner come into the league. I mean, we might see the Titans do it with um, with their quarterback that they took in the third, whose name eludes me at the moment. It wasn't Malik. Did they get Malik Willis? Malik Willis, yes, they did. Okay, okay. So I, that 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 indeed may happen, and there may be other teams that are trying it here. I think there is still an overwhelming uh, desire to have pocket QBs. People think, you know, that that injuries will accrue to running quarterbacks and whatnot. Um, what I will say is there's there is a force that's in play now that may really increase um, strategic thinking about quarterback and force uh, different strategies into play. And that's expansion. Uh, there, there have been some people suggesting the NFL should expand to 40 teams, which, by the way, that's going to take an unbelievable amount of time. If you think about just the, the operations research problem that an expansion draft creates for a league hockey's been able to do it. Like a, I think it was two years apart. They, they added teams with, with uh, uh, the Seattle team most recently. And before that, the, the Las Vegas team, but it's very difficult to, to do expansions all at once because your, your talent gets thinned out. Well, the, the other problem is that at quarterback, you've got so many pocket quarterbacks that get produced good ones each year from college football. So the, the people who are towards the bottom end of that, in terms of they don't have one of the top 10 to 15 guys, let's say, and now there's there were 32 teams before and there's 40 now, have to then figure out how can I still be competitive when I don't have my quarterback? So there might be more pressure to try and get the picks for the quarterback, but that doesn't solve your supply problem. The only thing that really so, uh, changes the supply problem for the from the year is competing ideology of how to play football. And it means you will get more people adapting the Ravens Lamar 
way of thinking about things and trying to install a, you know, a, a dangerous quarterback running game who, who, you know, ho- hopefully can also pass the ball a little bit. But I think that will be the force more than anything because college football is not going to grow. Like the pro game will. And basically your prospect to position openings is going to change. And that'll have to change how philosophically teams affect uh, you know, choose their quarterbacks. Well, and, you know, I'll bolster your argument a little bit because to a certain extent, the NFL always follows the college game because that's where the talent comes from. And kind of agreeing with the direction of college game is the easiest way to go because you can make easier use of rookies if your scheme is similar to mm-hmm. college. And athletic QBs are now the norm, right? Uh, it, 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 pure pocket passers in the Tom Brady sense are struggling to to get on the field in a lot of co- college offenses. They are the second option in a lot of situations, and out and out running quarterbacks are not unusual. You know, in 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 top tier uh, offenses. Now, I think every now and then we underrate just how special Lamar is in that department. Just you know, what sure. passes for a yeah. dual threat in 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 other QBs is is doesn't hold a candle to him but the fact remains that is a talent pool and as long as that talent pool exists the temptation to use it the way the ravens have used it will always be there particularly if quality options are available late in the draft you know which with Malik Willis it, it, just it, once yeah Malik Willis was obviously is a is a um opportunity for a home run who could you know, end up being a pop out to second. Yep. But, but it is a, it, it is a good opportunity for one, but what else I'll still say there's 105 division one programs and that's not the entire pool because I realized Trey Lance and other players have come from division two now and, and, uh, or, or, you know, from whatever they call the, the lower subdivision of football, but it is, there is still a, a set number of total college offenses and how they run it and a prospect pool that'll be coming out that that will always have variation to it. There will be air raid groups. There will be teams that are able to get pocket passers out of high school that they really like and they want to build their program around. And then those guys will filter into the NFL. But with more NFL teams, I don't know how they do it. I don't, I don't know how they increase the number of really good quarterback prospects without changing who's going to be playing quarterback in, in a, in a philosophical way. I mean, you know, in baseball, they went internationally to get players. So, you know, it used to be basically almost every player was American. There were a few Venezuelans and things like that in the, in the fifties who were playing, but there wasn't a, a, a big number of Puerto Ricans or Dominicans or all of those. There just weren't that many at that time. So you had 160, 170 million people supporting 17 teams. Well, guess what? The United States now has 340 million people and 30 baseball teams, right? 32, 30. And, but that's not nearly the population they draw from. I just don't see footballs having that same alternative to grow their population, you know, to twice the size that the players are drawn from. Uh, it, somehow drawing from lower level leagues in Europe, say, or Asia, uh, to, to find additional quarterbacks to play American football. It could happen, but I, I'm just, I'm, it's not obvious to me how it will happen. Yeah, I think that many, that uh, frankly, I think that many teams is a pipe dream. And I question how much the owners individually would even want that because, I mean, it does somewhat dilute the value of each existing franchise. But but I think there's plenty of other reasons why running quarterbacks could become prevalent. And, and you touched on contrarianism and zigging and zagging. And I think it's worth kind of, calling that out a little bit in the sense that whenever a 
a, a strategy becomes prevalent, it, it involves picking some players over others. And when a, that strategy becomes common, teams are going to compete for a smaller pool of players appropriate to that strategy. And it's going to raise the price of those players and it's going to drop the price of others. And I think right. you know, my, my example was, was with offensive linemen with zone blocking. One of the beautiful things about zone blocking is it allowed you to do something with small, fast linemen that previously were mm -hmm. kind of the unwanted leftovers of other offenses. Not in demand. Yeah. Uh, and it allowed you to piece together highly effective uh, um, offenses on the cheap. And, and that is powerful. And, and I think that is going to apply to the passing game at some point. Uh, as defenses optimize themselves more and more for wide receiver heavy, you know, high volume passing offenses, you're going to be forcing them further and further off balance when you're running super heavy, you know, run heavy offenses. Yeah. I mean, in, in a sense, the Ravens should have, if they didn't in the minds of more than just a few GMs, you mentioned the Eagles and, you know, it's, it should be even more prevalent today. The draft of Malik Willis maybe maybe a you know a player who's headed more in that direction as well. But it was a historic offense produced, you know, not only the fifth most points per drive of all time, but also did it at a ridiculously low price, by far the most efficient on a per dollar spent basis in the history of the NFL. So you know, per per relative dollar spent, you know what I mean by that? Sure. Uh, it it really. Uh, it should have taken more hold already. Yeah, yeah. And and particularly when, again, you have to consider the talent starting point of that offense. And I think that's what I forget, forget easily, and I think a lot of other Ravens fans do, that it wasn't cheap because we had poured draft resources into it for years prior to Lamar getting here. It was cheap because it wasn't very good. It was, you know, right. scraped together leftovers, you know, in the running back and wide receiver category. And frankly, tight end was two un, unproven rookies that we were hoping were going to pan out. Thank goodness one of them did. Well, yeah. I think we're getting close to the end of the first half here, and we should transition into talking about the sellers in the next episode. All right. Well, Caleb, always a pleasure to have you on. Great talking football. It's always an intellectual discussion with you. I really appreciate that uh, whenever I get the chance. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter, uh, at Maze of the Mind. And uh, I, I, I'm not always, I'm, I have a young child, so I'm not on there as consistently as I would like. But my DMs are open, and, and I hope to be back on here soon and, and, and talk some more football with you, Ken. All right. We hope so too, Caleb. And, and we'll get the second episode out there. Uh, uh, we'll probably have these spaced out by about a week apiece so people can get the buzz going and then listen to that second one as well. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to like to do a uh, podcast with me, a, a film study short this summer, please hit me up. Uh, DMs are open on Twitter. I'll get back to you right away. Uh, looking for a relatively narrow topic that we can talk about in significant depth in 30 minutes. So if you want to completely rebuild the Ravens franchise building uh, strategy that probably has to be a multi-segment uh, podcast. And by the way, don't have a problem with that either. If you want to try and hit me up with an idea for that, we've had several that have been really good. One on the evolution of football that's just out there right now, which I, I highly recommend. Really enjoyed the conversations myself. Caleb, thanks again for being on. Always a pleasure to talk football with you. Yep. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.